Now, this is going to be an interactive seminar. Text in your questions on your phone. So, I came to faith in Jesus at the age of 19. One thing that I look back on my life is that I wish I had more time and more opportunity when I was younger. Okay, so use this time well. If you've got questions, I was always the kid in school that hated asking questions. If you are nervous about asking your question, remember there is no question too long or too dumb to ask today. So text in your questions. You don't have to put your name on it. Lads, these are excellent questions. Come, there's loads of space down here still. There's a nice spot over here. Got loads of questions coming. What time does this... Yeah. What time does this officially... Okay, then. This is the rule. The rule is this. You ask questions. Myself and my friends, we will answer as helpfully as possible. If you feel like you still have questions from our answers, take them back to your youth leader and carry on the conversation. Okay? There's lots of questions, lots of you, and just under an hour. I'm not very good at maths, but I know that it'll be hard to get everything in. Okay? So I'm Matt. I'm part of the 12 to 14s team. And I've got some friends here that are going to quickly introduce themselves. I'm Martin. I'm also part of the 12 to 14s team. I'm Jamie, and I'm also part of the 12 to 14s team. I'm Jeeves. I'm not part of the 12 to 14s team. <laughs> but you're wonderful anyway. Okay, who's ready for a question? Right. I like this one. There's so many already. Let's, wow, keep them coming in. These phones, man, are like not very... These old questions. Okay, question number one. Does God care if I go to the gym too much? Which one of you lads are going to answer that? <laughs> Martin? <laughs> that is a battle I struggle with. As you can tell from my physique, I'm at the gym a lot. Um, I'm not, I'm not. No, no one's laughing. Um, does God care if I go to the gym a lot? Well, it depends, I suppose. I think God would care if your God is your body and what you look like, then God would really care. If you're going to the gym um, and your purpose of that is kind of drawing you into, I suppose, you know, the kind of world's, the world's definition uh, of what success is, what, what a man looks like, if you're going because you're so focused on what you look like, that that's your number one thing and that's what you really care about, God will care about that because that's showing that your heart, you're actually worshipping your self-image rather than you're worshipping God. I don't think God keeps a kind of register of like, do you know what I mean? If you go to the gym like three days a week, that's okay. It's like, that's fine. But if it's four, like, oh my goodness, that's, you've crossed the line now and that's like super bad. Uh, so I think it would be more about the heart attitude. I think probably you'll find a lot of the questions that come, these will be similar answers in terms of what God really cares about is where's your heart? And if you're going to the gym and you're worshiping God at the gym and your focus is on him and you're looking after yourself, the Lord delights in that. I think we are called to look after ourselves. But if your focus is on you and kind of you turning yourself into your own God, then he'd have some issues with that. If you guys want to add anything. I think just a helpful question to ask is, 
uh, are you more gutted about missing the gym compared to are you more gutted with missing time with God? If, if you can't answer that question, then you're spending more, too much time at the gym. Truthfully, that, and, and just to match with Martin said, that's, that's the heart issue. If you're going, you will know what? I'm gutted. I didn't get to a kind of lift weights at the gym compared to, man, I'm gutted. I was too busy to pray and spend time reading the Bible, that kind of stuff. That's where you've got the issue wrong. Now, if you go to the gym and you listen to music, you listen to worship music, that's what I do. I clearly don't lift weights. I lift kebabs as Andy. I'm one of him. Do you know what I mean? But uh, the reality is, if you are going to the gym, listen to worship music, that's kind of your time that you spend listening to Jesus, spending time with him. Hey, that's good. That's really good. It's your space to be able to process that. But it is that question. If you're more gutted about not going to the gym than you are spending time with God, I think that's where the idol of the gym is more in, the, more in your heart. Right. Fantastic question. Next. How do I make good friendships? Oh, good. Fr- oh, hello. He got, he got, Martin Shoes got all the attention. Um, good friendships. I think embodying the fruit, the spirit, I think always leads to good friendships. You see how Jesus is a good friend to his friends. Um, you know, when, when Lazarus dies, he's the first one to weep when he sees him. Um, and I think by embodying, embodying Jesus more, you're naturally going to make good friends around you. But being, uh, I think time's very important, um, putting time into people. You have a very limited amount of time on this earth. So good friendships come from uh, good time with each other. I, I don't know, this bit airy-fairy, but um, yeah, no. Uh, being deliberate with people is always really important. Uh, yeah, I don't know, anyone else? Yeah, the, the only thing I'd say is that I think for us, one of the responsibilities we have as friends is helping one another grow in our walk with Jesus. As I say, one of the best ways you can be a good friend to those that know Christ, those that are, are friends of yours in youth group or at school that are believers of Jesus, is to be spurring them on to follow Jesus and to grow in their walk with God. And for friends that you've got that don't know Jesus, the way you can be a good friend is by representing Jesus well. You should be different to your friends that don't know Jesus, not in like a weird way. But just in the way that you kind of live your life, in the way that you, you are, the way that you engage and talk, I suppose like Jamie's saying, if you embody the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, you know, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, love and self-control, boom, uh, then actually you'll stand out in the world because they don't represent those. So I'd just say, yeah, that would be mine. Also, find things that you have in common that you can have fun doing. It's important to laugh. Okay, next one is just for you, Martin. This is the deepest theological question we've had yet. How does Martin always manage to smile? We've got muscles around the mouth. I think your brain kind of tells it, and then it makes it go up. What he's saying is really muscular. Okay, next question. As boys, we experience puberty and sexual feelings... How do we live a pure life with God and controlling ourselves with sexual acts? It's a really, it's a really good question. It's really important to kind of help understand. First of all, God has called us to holiness rather than anything else. So God hasn't called us to heterosexuality. God has not called us in terms of puberty. God has called us not into sexual um, kind of desires. God has called us to holiness. 
which means everything else fits under that bracket. Which therefore means if there's moments where, hey, we're horny, puberty comes in, we've got that kind of sexual attraction, those kind of things, the decision we make with that starts with our heart. Now, if I'm called to holiness, if I'm looking at someone and they're attractive, the decision I make in that moment is really important. What I'm not saying is actually having some thoughts of sexual desire for someone is wrong. In fact, the Bible calls us at the beginning that God made man and woman in the image of God and made it for kind of procreation. Sexual desires are a good thing if they're put in the right place. So great theologian, Rebecca McLaughlin, she, she describes it like this. If you were to put a fire in a fireplace, it's a great, wonderful thing that warms the house. If you were to put a fire in the middle of a living room, it's a destructive thing that, that can burn the whole house down. And it's the same thing that you can place with sexual desire with everything else. If you put things in the wrong category, in the wrong position, it starts to become something that is destructive. You put in the place that sits under the authority of God, becomes something that is beautiful and wholesome. So if there's someone that you like, either in this youth camp or somewhere else, first thing, where's your heart? If it's for the holiness of God, then great. If it's for your own desire, you know it's not going to end well. Yeah, no. Um, oh, hello. Is it on? Yeah, perfect. Um, I think it's really important. Like, I struggle in this area quite a lot. And I, I, when I grow up, I always saw the people on panels as completely perfect. And, you know, you've got these church leaders that are, oh, you know, they've got everything sorted. Um, yeah, of course, my church leader has, but uh, that's a bit different. Um, yeah, no, I, I struggle in this area, and I find it really difficult. Um, and, you know, I think every man, I, I think my dad once said that 99% uh, of men uh, struggle in this area, and the other 1% is lying. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, I thought it's really difficult, and that's a big battle that I think we all have to f- struggle with. So you're not alone, really. Um, yeah, and iron sharpens iron, so, you know, talk to you youth leaders. <laughs> okay, next question is, the Bible talks about sex before marriage and that being off cards, but what about masturbation? And if I'm struggling, how do I stop? Here we go. We've got, we've got to call it out, haven't we? In a room like this, we have to call out pornography and we have to call out masturbation. We've got to. And I think the point you just made, Jamie, is really important. That I think sometimes we feel like we can't talk about these things. Like, I'm the only one that struggles with these things. I'm the only one that battles. Because in our culture, we've been taught, our culture teaches us that women are objects that exist to fulfill our pleasure and our desires. That is, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. If you read the Bible, you will not see that. And when you do see it, that's because it's highlighting sin that's going on. Even when Kemi was speaking and the story that she shared at the start from Scripture, that was trying to reveal the sinfulness of that story. There was nothing in there that we should be going, oh, that sounds good. I think that's okay. No, totally sinful. I think when God speaks, as Jesus really helpfully said, the starting point is, you know, it says in the Scriptures, Anyone here kind of struggle with knowing what God's will for your life is? Does anyone here ask yourself, what is God's will for my life? Anyone here struggle with that question? The Bible is really clear. Do you know what it says? God's will for your life. One of the things it says is, is your sanctification. What that means is you're growing in holiness. What do we mean by that? It means you growing in being more like Jesus and doing as Jesus said. That's God's will for all of us. He wants all of us to grow in that. The Bible is really clear. Sex is made for marriage between a man and a woman. That's really clear in Scripture. 
that illustration is really helpful of the fireplace. If, if you're uh, having sex outside of marriage, it's like having a fire in your tent at New Day. That's only going to end badly. That's not good. That's not good's plan. But then the question then goes, doesn't it? Okay, right, so the act of sex isn't okay outside of marriage. But what about these other things? Well, that's where the Bible is wonderfully broad. It talks about sexual immorality a lot. And do you know that that word in the kind of original is deliberately really broad, that it basically is including anything and everything. Pornography would be included in there. Masturbation would be included in there. I think that this idea of we are these kind of sexual beings that have to fulfill our sexual desires at any moment. Again, that's culture teaching us that. That's not what God says. Jesus says that when you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit coming in and living in you. When the Spirit lives in you, you then have the fruit of the Spirit growing in you. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. And when we talk about this topic, this is the big battle for us. We live in an age where we're told what you want, get it, do it, don't worry. That's what you're taught. It's what we're all taught. Again, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you're going to follow Jesus, deny yourself and pick up your cross. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus sacrificed himself for us to know God's love, God's approval, God's affection. And then we're called to sacrifice in response to what he's done for us. Not to gain his love, but because we have his love, we know that his love is better than anything else. And so I would say to you, when you're asking the question of like, how close can I get to the line? Do you mean, how, how much will God let me get to the line? So if the line is here, sex before marriage is wrong, and you're thinking, well, what, what can I get away with then? That means I've not technically had sex, but I could, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. I think there, you, you, it's like kind of going towards the cliff edge and saying, how close to the edge can I get? That's a dangerous way to live. Cliffs are renowned for dropping and eroding and whatever. It's that kind of idea. Rather, what we should be saying is, how close can I get to Jesus and following his ways? And so I think with these, my encouragement to you would be, as Jamie said, most people and most men, most boys struggle with uh, pornography and masturbation. I think in your generation, I think this is even higher of a problem because you're getting a smartphone at the age of what? You know, some, ki- some kids are getting smartphones at the age of seven. On a smartphone, you can access anything you want at any point. When I was growing up, the internet didn't exist when I was your age. Or it did, but it was only for, like, weird people that, you know, used it. So it was like, for me, it was like, you know, you had to go to the shop and buy a magazine to see the things that you can see now just on your phone at any point. The battle is, is real. It has always been real, I'd say, for, for men of all kind of generations, But for you, I'd say it's particularly challenging because you can access it so easily. Our culture is so sexualized. Do you mean, at the moment, it's like any advert of any kind, they know if they just put some kind of sexy lady in there, then boys will go and buy it. Whatever it is, you know, deodorant. It's like Lynx deodorant. That's the most horrible smelling deodorant in the world. But the advert's like this geeky guy spraying himself and all these ladies running towards him. They know if they put sex connected to something, we'll be drawn into it. So what I would say on this is that my encouragement to you would be God's heart is for purity, masturbation. There's no way you can masturbate and honor Jesus. There's no way. There's no way you can do that. And that's got to be our goal and our focus as we run. Okay, so while we're in the area of relationships, is it okay to be in a romantic relationship and date as a teenager? 
stepping up to the big one. All right. Um, I th I think I think it's again. I think we've we've mentioned heart again a lot. I mean, I I know lots of people who uh, have dated when they're teenagers and it's gone really really well, and they got married when it was like appropriate, and you know they've been together for years. I mean, my granddad got married at seventeen. That's insane to me, but it worked out for him. I mean, it was a different generation then. Um, I mean, people used to get married at 13 back in like, I mean, Mary, when she got married or betrothed to Joseph, was really young. Um, but then again, I think, it is, again, it's your heart. Uh, if your heart's in the right place. I, I, but it, I mean, in our generation, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I think it's really difficult. Um, with all of the challenges of our world. It's a very different culture we're in. Um, I think people are very immature. I mean, I know 20-year-olds that are as immature as 12-year-olds. They're um, It's insanity. Um, it is insanity. It's crazy. We have man-children, but that's a different thing. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, but I think... I think talk to your youth leader about that if you want to pursue that because they can advise you better. But I, I wouldn't recommend dating until you're, you know, a bit older just because our culture isn't set up to facilitate that, I think. Um, but maybe someone a bit more wiser than me can step in. We're not wiser than me. <laughs> I'm not wiser than Jamie. But I think just, uh, again, I always like having questions just to kind of help process stuff. If you don't know how to love a sister in Christ, then you're probably not ready to date. Like, you need to learn how to love kind of your fellow, the, the girls in your group, those who are Christian. You need to love them as sisters in Christ first because that's what they primarily are. And I think for me, start, start there. Learn how to actually have that kind of relationship, that wholesome kind of relationship rather than dating and hey i, I want to make this quite clear those those emotions that you might have that you might fancy someone those kind of things they're not bad it's just what you do with them that's important and i think mine's really just helpfully unpacked our whole idea of how do we look at kind of people in in a sexualized way that we could be careful with that and truthfully i think sometimes when you date at, at a teenage level what you're really actually doing is you're kind of saying, I want to try and find some way of kind of satisfying some of those feelings, satisfying some of those desires by saying we're dating. But actually what you want to do is you want to kind of just push the line uh, a little bit further. So first start with knowing how do you love someone as a sister in Christ? Start there. And then as you kind of progress in that relationship, see where your emotions develop, those kind of things to kind of take it further. Yeah, the only thing I'd, I'd add to that is that I think dating's a bit of a grey zone when it comes to scripture because it didn't really exist at the time the Bible was written. There was single, engaged, or betrothed, and married, right? So betrothed meant you're going to marry them. So you're kind of, you know, the date is set and it's happening. Dating, this kind of like, let's just, I think I might like you. Let's explore and see how it goes. You don't find that anywhere in there. And so it's really interesting because I think sometimes then we can go, oh, great, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. So I'm going to do what I want because it's, it's not in there. But I think there's a, there's a certain ingredient where biblically, this might gross you out, but prepare yourselves, your relationship with every girl in the church until you get married, or if they're your mum, because obviously they're your mum, is that they're your sister, is what Scripture says. They're your sister. And so I think that there's this kind of interesting dynamic that we've just got to be really wise around, in that I think when you're dating, what's the purpose of dating at the age that you're at? What are you, why would you? What, where's it leading? 
Because I think if you're 12, 13, 14, hopefully you're not thinking about getting married uh, at the moment. You might be, and God bless you if you are, but you've still got a while to wait. So I guess it's, there's no rush in this. And I would say, I think that in our culture, not dating at the age that you are, staying single, I think communicates something really massive to our culture, where, where what we're being taught is, like in the seminar the other day, in the everyday living, I thought what Alfie said was really profound. He said our culture sets it up as kind of, when you get married, it's like two halves coming together and becoming whole. And, I, and he was like, that's just totally the wrong way of thinking. Marriage is two holes becoming one. So you're not half at the moment. Jesus never got married. He was the most fulfilled kind of, you know, person that lived on this earth ever. And so I think it's trying to understand that these things of like, if you've not got a girlfriend, you're weird or you're unfulfilled or you're not fully a human, they're total lies. In Christ, we are fulfilled. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's what Tom shared with us at the start of worship yesterday morning. That idea of actually, we want to be making sure that our fulfillment's found in Jesus. And if you're trying to find that in dating, again, that's only going to bring you problems. Only going to push you away from Jesus. Only going to distract you from the things of God. If I think if we could get a generation at this age saying, I'm sold out for Jesus. He's my focus and I'm running there. I think we'd see amazing things happen. Okay. Can I date a non-Christian girl? Uh, I, uh, do you want it? I, th- I think this is a really hard question because what you're dealing with is you're dealing with emotion mixed with biblical. <laughs> and there is times where, truthfully, the Bible says in Matthew 11 that we have to carry our cross. And there's moments where we have to die to some stuff that are really important. So here's, here's my take on it, if I'm honest with you. I believe the Bible tells us to yoke well. Now, when it comes to dating, we're not even talking about marriage. That's what yoking is. When it comes to dating, again, Mars just helpfully talks about the intentionality of it. So the reality is, if we're dating in our context, there is an intentionality to kind of go, well, it's not just I like you, I like you, let's move on. There is an intentionality saying, all right, we're interested, let's see what happens. And that's truthfully also why, at this age, it's really unwise. Now, if the Bible talks about yoking well, what the Bible is saying is don't be uneven in that kind of way. There are some values that we believe in that make you uneven, right? One of them is about justice to the world, yeah? If someone's not bothered about the, the, the poor and those kind of things, someone is really bothered about that, there starts to become an uneven balance about, as a family, what their values look at. Christianity and belief in Christianity is one of them. So I believe biblically that actually we shouldn't be dating or being married to someone who is not a Christian. Now, do I know a relationship where that has happened, someone's become Christ and there's a healthy relationship? Yes, I do. But I do believe, actually, that though there might be emotion for that, first and primarily, my heart is not, can I date them? My heart should be, do they know Jesus? That really is the first place. Because actually, everything else doesn't really matter if someone doesn't know Jesus. They, they need to know Christ first before anything else. And so the decision that I made when growing up, when I was your age, I used to like a girl. She wasn't a Christian. I talked to my parents about it. My parents in Indian were like, you're not dating anyway. Like that was, that was their go. But the conversation then evolved to kind of go, you know what? Do they know Jesus? No. Surely it's more important to try and get them to church. And I had to die to that. 
That was really hard because I really liked them and I never dated them, but they did find Jesus. And for me, that's way more important than something else because God's got a better and bigger plan for me in that kind of way. Yeah, the only thing I'd add is that I think it's very dangerous to argue for why it's okay from experience. Oh, I know someone and they dated a non-Christian and then they became a Christian and they are married and live this happy life. That's great. But for every one of those, I could tell you hundreds of the other way where someone who was a Christian dated someone that wasn't and the Christian basically ended up not connected into the church community, not walking with Jesus, often drawn away. And I think that would be my big thing is I think I think it's really unwise and I think actually, biblically, I think there's very clear principles. That passage that Jesus is talking about, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. That's a picture of basically like two ox that are out in a field, and they're tied together, and they're moving in the same direction. If you're dating a non-Christian, you're not moving in the same direction because they're not moving towards Jesus. They're not wanting to follow Jesus. They don't know Jesus. So you will be being pulled in a different direction. They might want to do things that actually aren't honoring to God. And actually, you're just going to be in a place of tension. So I think it would be really unwise. A bit more of a practical one on this topic. What should you do when your mates are objectifying women? I think this is, this is really a difficult thing because it's such an accepted thing in our culture, especially with sort of more... I'm, I'm friends with lots of rugby lads, and uh, it, it it sickens me sometimes just how um, a, it's not just it's not just rude. It's it's a deeper heart issue uh, that's accepted. Um, and I challenge my I've got a little brother, and he sometimes slips into that, and I do challenge him on it. And I think you're you're in the world to be an ambassador for kingdom values, and those things. And those actions of others don't match up to that. And I don't know. Uh, I'm more of a passive person, so I usually go like, oh, come on, guys. Uh, but I think it, it is so fundamentally not of Jesus to objectify other people. And he, Jesus, whenever he meets anyone, he always treats them with the most respect and dignity of anyone. And I think we should be trying to um, replicate that. So when other people around you are uh, objectifying and being um, uh, just dehumanizing, really. I think you need to try and change that culture and be the person that stands out. Um, and I know that's easier said than done, and it's very easy to sit and listen to a panel saying you to do that. But in practice, I think it's really important to set a precedent, set a culture, be someone different, and um, treat people as humans um, rather than just... Um, um, you know, idols really. So, yeah. I think your example matters as well in that. So I think alongside calling out what you're seeing, I think you not joining in speaks massive volumes. They'll really notice. If all your mates are like, look at her, and you're just not joining in, and you're deliberately trying to stand up, you will shine. And that's what the Bible says. So I think alongside what Jamie said. Okay, slowly now moving away from relationships, but now looking more about what it means to be a man. What does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be a man of God? Um, I mean, I think this is just the question of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman is such a massive one in our culture at the moment, isn't it? And I think culture is blurring the lines of 
of that. I think it was interesting. Yesterday we had a seminar looking at the question of should I be masculine or feminine? And that was trying to look at, I suppose, this idea that the culture sets of there's very clear traits of what a man is or what masculinity is, what femininity is. Uh, and I think what we were trying to do is break down some of the gender stereotypes that I think are really unhelpful. What does it mean to be a man? Strong. Well, I think women should be strong. What does it mean to be a woman? Kind. Well, I think men should be kind. So it's kind of, it's, it's unhelpful. But I do think that what you see in the scriptures, there is very clear. God has made you, God has made you male. God has made you male. He's made you a man. And he has a purpose and a reason for that. And I think that there are differences between men and women beyond just biological. I think there are differences between men and women in terms of um, just how we are to live our lives. I think part of our way of working out what it means to be a man of God is to look at Jesus and look at the example of Jesus. And what you see in Jesus is Jesus stood up for the weak and for the oppressed. Jesus honored those that he came into contact with. Jesus walked in purity and in relationship with God. Jesus modeled the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now the call on us is, if you see us, people should see God. That's what the Bible is saying. We're the ambassadors of God. We're the representatives of God. So I think what does it mean to be a man of God, I would say, is this. I think it is embracing the fact that God's made you to be a man. I think there's certain things in our culture that um, it's probably going to come down to your conscience so I know a question that came into the uh, seminar yesterday is like, is it all right to paint your nails? I think, as a guy, is it all right to paint your nails? Yeah, I, d I don't think it's like, do you know what I mean? Like the unforgivable sin or whatever. But I suppose for me, again, it'd be like the heart factor. Why? If you're trying to rebel against the fact that God's made you a man, then I don't think you should be painting your nails. If you're really confident that God's made you a man and you're walking confidently in the call of God as a man of God and you can paint your nails, great, go for it. I don't really care. It's our culture. And I think sometimes in our culture, it's working out where's the line at the moment in culture that we're saying this far and no further. It's, it's blending. Is it all right for a man to wear a dress? Personally, I would say no. Because I think that's crossing a line where you're starting to complicate the fact that you, you look like a woman, but you're a man. That doesn't make sense in terms of the plans and the purposes of God. So I think there's lines that we've got to try and work out in our culture right now. What are the battlegrounds that we're saying this far and no further, we're not going to move? And the reason for that is because we really believe men in our culture are seen as either stupid. Think of Peppa Pig. Yeah, Daddy Pig is like the worst representation of a male I've ever seen in any TV show. He's just this stupid, fat idiot that does nothing. Just genuinely, Daddy Pig is always the butt of all the jokes. And I think our culture looks at men a bit like that. Or men are seen as evil, oppressive. We, we, we use our strength to push people down. And I think, what does it mean to be a man of God? It means don't be those. Find that kind of, if, if the spectrum is Daddy Pig here and Andrew Tate here, then we want to be in the middle. We want to be those that are confident in who God's made us to be, confident in the call of God over our lives, leading people into it and stepping into those things, but also gentle and kind and honoring of others and releasing others to run. That, for me, is what a man of God is, and that's what Jesus was. Jesus walked that. If you want to grow as a man of God, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. Look at how Jesus interacted with people. Look at when Jesus was strong and firm and why he was strong and firm. And look at when Jesus was gentle and, and, and kind of lowly and why he was gentle with those that he came into contact with and look to grow in that.
How do you follow that? That's the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Jesus was a man, and I think he was such an amazing man. And, and he's, I sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a history geek. And uh, you could, in, if you look at old murals, they feminize Jesus a lot because they wanted to make it more applicable to a wider audience. But Jesus was a carpenter. If you've ever met a carpenter, they're massive. They're carrying wood around all day. This guy was, he was a big man. He was, I mean, this guy was flipping tables in the temple because he saw injustice and he saw things that were wrong. But at the same time, when he met the weakest of society, when he met the small, he treated them as human beings. He treated them with value. He didn't speak down to them. He asked to be surrounded by the worst of humanity, and yet he, he loved them. And so you have these, this, it's not a paradox or uh, two things existing at once. Jesus embodied both, and I think men are both meant to be strong and powerful and speak truth to power where it's needed, but also loving and kind. And as Martin said, Jesus is such an amazing example. Um, so, yeah, read your Bibles. There's lots of examples of amazing men in Scripture. Um, and, and they're just there for you to be waiting for you to read and learn from. Um, yeah. Okay, you guys having fun. There's a lot of wisdom being shared in the room. Um, next question. Is it okay to be gay as a man? Okay, so again, coming back to what I said before, God has called us to holiness, not heterosexuality. And it's really important we kind of understand that. Um, I don't really like using the word gay. I think that starts to speak about identity, which I think is really unhelpful. So using the word same-sex attraction kind of helps understand it a little bit better. So if it's okay, I'm just going to map that um, question a a little bit. So is it okay to um, experience same-sex attraction and be a Christian? And I believe so, yes. I believe that you can struggle with same-sex attraction. I think you can struggle with it because I do not believe it is the ultimate sin. I believe in the same way that I struggle with uh, temptation or pornography, and I struggle with temptation or masturbation, and I struggle with the temptation of lying, in the same way that someone who struggles with the temptation of same-sex attraction, I believe you can be a Christian. I believe in that, with everything else, is the practice of it that becomes the line of changing over from temptation to sin. Now, the problem is with same-sex attraction, what the world has done and what we do is we so put that on identity that we make it an identity issue, not a sin issue. Same-sex attraction, though I think the church has got it wrong in terms of how we also talk about it not as an identity issue, I think it's something that we need to be aware of, that if there are people, if you're in the room and you struggle with same-sex attraction, you need to know that God loves you, God wants you, and God can use you to glorify him in a way that how you prevent falling into the temptation of same-sex attraction. Now, again, I'm not calling that the fact that the temptation of that, that desire of that, a sin. It's what we do with it is what matters. And so I genuinely believe that you can struggle with same-sex attraction and be a Christian. 
And the choice is, are you calling yourself to being holy, righteous, a man of God, courageous, humble, dealing with when those things arise, rather than falling into it, which is what the world wants to say, rather than adding it to identity and calling yourself saying, I'm, I'm, a, I'm someone who practices it, does it, and also I'm a Christian. I do not believe that you can be that. I do not believe that you can practice it, fall into it, be in a same-sex attracted um, marriage, those kind of things, and call yourself a Christian based on what the Bible calls it out. Yeah, I think Jeeves has made the point really well, but I just want to emphasize this. I think that in the church today, we've turned homosexuality into like, that's a sin that's up here, and then, you know, uh, heterosexual sin, so sleeping with your girlfriend before you're married is like here. So it's like, do you know what I mean? And I guess I would just, I just really want to emphasize, if you're here today and you're battling with that question, Jesus sees you, he loves you, he's not judging you, and he's inviting you to uh, walk with him. And for all of us, going back to that verse that's coming up a lot, we're all called to deny ourselves, and that will look different for each of us. So for some, if, if you're same-sex attracted, your outworking of the gospel in your life is you're not going to be able to enter into a sexual relationship uh, on this earth. That's, that's the cost of following Jesus for you. And that's huge. And in our culture, again, going back to that, where culture is telling us all the time, unless you can enter into sexual relationship with people, you'll never feel fulfilled. Culture will be telling you, well, you're going to live your life unfulfilled. Well, the Bible says, no, no, no. The Bible says it's better to be single than be married. That's, it does say that. In terms of Paul says, you're able to be solely focused on Jesus if you're single. If you're married, then you're going to be double-minded is what Paul says because you're going to have to really care about how your wife is and her walk with, with God and if you have kids, how your kids are and you have to lean in there and you can't just... There, there's, there's challenges that come. And so my big encouragement to you would be, firstly, um, the point you've made is really helpful. There is a difference between temptation and sin. And I think the devil's really good at making us feel like we've sinned when we've been tempted. Jesus was tempted, but was without sin, is what the Bible says. So when that thought pops into your head, that's temptation. What you do with that thought, that's where the sin comes into play. Whether that's what you do with it internally or what you do with it externally, that's where it comes. And I think sometimes what the devil's got really good at is a thought comes into our head and we're like, ah, oh, I've sinned. I'm a mess, I'm rubbish. Whereas actually, the Bible says we can take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that. What does Jesus do when temptation came his way? He quoted scripture back. He quoted scripture back. He spoke. It says, this is what God says. This is God's word. Get yourself into the word of God. Be confident in what God's saying over your life. But if you're struggling with that, I really want to encourage you, don't struggle alone. That's true of anything. If you're battling with pornography, with masturbation, if you're here and, and you know that there's things in your life that are not pleasing to God, don't hide them in the dark. That's where they have power. Bring them into the light. And do you know what you meet? You meet grace and mercy and kindness. There's something you said that I just want to, we just got to be careful with our language because I think you can be a Christian. If, if to be a Christian is to, is to know Jesus as Savior, to be saved by him, to be washed clean, I think you can be a Christian and you can be in sin. So you can be a Christian and be in a same-sex relationship, but I don't think that's pleasing to God. And I think you're walking in sin, and I think God's call over you would be to repent. Just as you can be a Christian and be, can be sleeping with your girlfriend, God is not delighting over that. That's not what Jesus died for. 
Jesus died for you to walk in purity. And so he's calling you to repent and follow him. So I just think we've got to be careful sometimes because you think to be a Christian means we're perfect and we can't do anything wrong. None of us are perfect. We all get things wrong. The call is on a daily basis to confess our sins. It says in, in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What that means is, Every single day, we've got to go to Jesus and confess our sins because there's sins every day. And every single day, Jesus will forgive us if we're sincere of heart, if we're in faith and wanting to follow him. And he'll help us grow and see freedom in those things. Okay, next question is this. On my own, I find praying really good. But I feel shy praying in front of people. How can I grow in this? I'm probably not the best to answer that because I'd say I'm the opposite. On my own, I, I kind of get distracted after about three seconds of praying. I'm quite, as you could probably tell, I'm quite loud. I like talking out loud. I feel weird talking out loud on my own. When I'm with other people, I love it. I'm normally in a prayer meeting. I'll be like, between each prayer, I want to pray again because I'm. That's not me in in the quiet place. I, I find it quite hard and, and distracting there. So I don't know if any of you guys, Jeeves, you're probably like me. So I'm probably more looking at you, Jamie. Are you more? Have you got anything to say on that? I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm somewhere in between you guys. I think I just struggle with praying full stop. So I think that's, you know, that's a bit of a different issue. But the, um, I, th I think deliberately putting yourself, a practice, I think, makes perfect. You know, it's um, a lot of the Christian life is about self-discipline. And if you would like to grow in the gift of uh, praying out in, in, in a congregation, in a corporate setting, put yourselves in positions to do so. You know, go to your prayer meetings. Learn from others. If you want to grow in that, just as you, if you want to grow in being a worship leader, you have to put the hours in and you have to go along to worship sessions. You have to try and learn a guitar. It's the same thing. And it's about discipline, um, something that I need to work on. I struggle praying at prayer meetings. And to be honest, I find them a little boring. However, I know, I know it's despicable. <laughs> however, you know, it's... <laughs> However, you know, th th that's, that's a part of, um, you know, if you want to grow in that gift, practice. Go along to prayer meetings. Get involved. Learn from elders and the, the, the leaders in your, in your groups. Um, be deliberate about it, you know. So, yeah. So the, only, the only other thing I'd add is that uh, two things. God knows you. So he knows the type of person you are, introvert or extrovert, confident or shy. God sees that. And so that you haven't got to pretend with God that you're something you're not. And I think, again, sometimes we feel like, I don't know, you walk into church and that's the only time God sees you. So as long as you just, in that moment, you just pretend, you know, you're okay, then you can do whatever you want the rest of the week. He sees you at every moment. He, he's, he knows your best parts and your worst parts and he loves you the same. So be you. But then that's not an excuse to then just be like, oh, well, I'm shy, so I never have to pray out loud. It's almost like God knows that, so there's freedom and liberty, but then God wants you to grow. Because if you're here and if you send that question in or if you kind of connect to that question, yeah, I feel really shy in prayer meetings. Maybe like Jamie, you're like the worst of sinners and you find prayer meetings really hard. Not really. Uh, it's okay. They're not the most exciting, but it's amazing that we get to pray to God. Um, then actually, when you are able to pray out, that's such a massive encouragement to others. As someone that has the joy of, of kind of being involved in church leadership and, and being around lots of people, knowing lots of people's stories, when I know there's someone who finds it really difficult to pray out, and then they do, it's such a kind of strengthening and encouraging thing. Your youth leaders will be so blessed when they hear you pray out. 
But also that it's not this kind of pressure or performance thing. It's kind of like just allow yourself, as Jamie's saying, get into those contexts, focus, pray in your heart, grow in developing that. As we saw today, as Livy brought that word uh, in the morning meeting, ask Jesus, teach me to pray, help me to pray, and God will help you do that. I think for me, when I first became a Christian, my biggest fear about praying out loud was getting it wrong and looking like an idiot. And what would I say? And I found Jesus' words really helpful. Prayer doesn't have to be really long. You don't need to use impressive words. And also, what really encouraged me was that people I was praying with loved me and encouraged me. So take that bold step. We're going to end with a quick fire round before we wrap it up. Sanjeev, this is going to be best for you because we're going down the line. So you've got more time to think about it. What would you tell your 13-year-old self? What would I tell my 13-year-old self? Quick fire. Um, relax. God's got a plan. Don't, don't care what other people think as much. Care more about what God thinks of you. Don't be an idiot. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, you're loved. You don't have to. Um, don't feel pressure to do things you shouldn't do. Um, be confident in yourself because uh, Jesus thinks you're good and thinks you're valuable. So, you know, be confident in that. Learn from older saints. They know more than you realize. Spend time with older people that actually are role models of faith in the local church. And sharing the gospel with your friends is worth it. It's worth standing out and being different than you realize. Let's give our panelists a round of applause. I'd love to just uh, just pray for us before we bring this to an end. So if you're able to, could I ask you just to stand? And I'm going to ask you to do something really weird, guys. I want you to put your arm on the shoulder of the person either side of you. Because one of the most important things to remember is we're not doing this alone. Jesus has given us one another and we need one another. Okay, so I'm just going to pray and I want you to... to, to Believe in your heart that this prayer is for you. It's not just for the person to your right or to your left. This is for you. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you, Lord, that you know each one of us. Lord, the Bible tells us that you know the number of hairs on our heads. You know when we wake and when we sleep. You know the thoughts in our heads before we do. You know the words in our mouths before we say them. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have plans and purposes for each one of us. And I thank you that the plan for every single one of us is to follow you, is to know you, is to know that we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. It is to know that you have put gifts into each one of us that you want us to use. And that, Jesus, there's nothing we can do to make you love us more will make you love us less. And I just want to pray for every one of us, for the youth leaders here, for the young people here. I want to pray that this year would be a year where you help us to grow in our devotion to Jesus. That Jesus, you would be our first love. Lord, for those of us here that relationships are our first love, for those of us here that sports are our first love, for those of us here that what others think are our first love, 
For those of us here that the gym and our self-image is our first love. For those of us here that have anything that is our first love that isn't you, I pray, Jesus, that you would draw us back to yourself. Lord, if there's anyone here that wouldn't call themselves a Christian, hasn't bowed the knee to you as Lord, bring them to yourself. And Jesus, I pray that you would send us out, Lord God, as we go tomorrow, we would be sent by you into our homes, into our friendships, into our churches, into our schools, and that we would be ambassadors of Christ. We would shine as you've called us to shine, and that we would stand with one another. We'd lift one another up. We'd pull each other on. We'd push each other forward. We'd cheer each other on. And Lord God, when we come back next year, we'd all have stories of how you've used us, you've grown us, you've helped us, and you've drawn us in closer to a relationship with you, we pray. In your name, King Jesus. Amen.